0: Welcome to another episode of Coming Out Stories from What Goes On Media, with me, Emma Goswell. Time now to meet David, who's the writer behind a new book called How to Tell Your LGBTQ Plus Story. He waited till he was 55 to come out as gay. Before that, he was busy being husband
1: and a stay-at-home dad to two children.
0: This is his story.
1: Back in the day, I would have labelled myself as bisexual. Hmm. But that was because I was struggling to fit into some sort of box, I guess, because society wants us to be segregated and, and, and identified and, and labelled, and I was sort of struggling with the fact that I could have sex with girls, uh, and I married a woman, but I had also I had my sexual desires predominantly for men. So I thought, well, I must be bisexual. That's what I am, so that that's what I called myself convinced yourself yeah yeah but now I would say you know I'm gay and I'm, and I always have been and you know it's just a shame for a lot of reasons
0: and really you were having sex with women to fit in and fit into society
1: well yeah I suppose so but really I think it was just because I was popular with the girls as a lot of gay men are and um, I was always I don't you know. I'm, I'm, bragging or anything, but I was always quite cool. I was one of the cool people. In the I'm gap. sure you were, David, I don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, girls found me attractive. And uh, when, you, when you're young and virile and uh, wanting to have sex, it, it, was, it was not a problem, not a problem for me. Now that, that's interesting because some gay men say, well, I just couldn't, I could not have sex with women. It just didn't happen. So, you know, we're all on a scale somewhere
0: we are, aren't we? And then there's this funny thing, isn't there, where some gay men have this, like, oh, I'm gold star, I'm gold standard, you know, I've never even kissed a girl, you know, and some people are very proud about it, but, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. horses and for it, courses, isn't it? It's who you are. It's nothing to be proud or ashamed about. And I think,
1: I think that's the stigma that um, the gay community put on itself and other people, mm. you know, I'm more gayer than you are, <laughs> you know, and it's just ridiculous because, uh, you know, as, as I say, we're all on this spectrum and we're all on the same path we're all you know struggling to come to terms with identifying ourselves and who we are and living our truths it's funny isn't it yeah and and when people say oh well i'm well i'm a 100% gay so that means that i'm more gay than you are so i'm you know better well my
0: girlfriend says it sometimes but i don't think she's being serious but yeah she sometimes brings up the fact that she's never ever got off with a boy and never been interested and i was like well that's just that was your up that was how you lived your life and that mine was my experience was different you know yeah
1: yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah so so uh for a long time i thought i was bisexual or i i was i was calling myself bisexual to make everything fit
0: so, David you didn't have to age yourself exactly, but, you know, you're right to tell us what sort of decade you're in, what sort of um, first oh, number you've got, <laughs> or what decade you were growing up in, what decade you were at school.
1: So uh, my formative years were in mm. the 80s, but mm-hmm. I grew up in the 70s. So mm-hmm. um, I'm now in my 60s. So that is yeah. just unbelievable. But, of course, in my head, I'm still 25 uh, <laughs> and still fit and healthy. So, uh, you know. So the 70s and 80s were a particularly difficult time for all sorts of reasons. Um, Very uh, homophobic and very, you know, the AIDS thing in the 80s. just basically put people like myself back in the closet. And I remember once having a conversation this was when the big adverts were on the telly the tombstone crashing down and yes don't die of ignorance yeah don't die of ignorance and I remember having a conversation in the pub with my with my friends and we were all saying oh you know oh any one of us could have it we could get it you know we've got to be careful got to use a condom and I was sitting there thinking yes but I could get it more than you could you know I was the one that was sitting there thinking my god you know I've just got to be really careful.
0: So you were having gay sex in the eighties, but you just weren't telling anyone. You weren't telling your friends then.
1: No, I was. No, I I lived this incredible dual lifestyle. I I sort of stumbled across a gay scene in Portsmouth. Hmm. and uh, would go down to um granny's nightclub on a wednesday night which was gay night on a wednesday night.
0: <laughs> that's a shit name for a nightclub isn't it <laughs> granny's nightclub i know or maybe it's good i don't know but it wasn't a good club
1: <laughs> well i mean it, it, it was great because you know i was um, i could go out and um, meet other gay guys and yeah. you know have have sex and that and you know the music they played was much better than a normal disco because they played Grace Jones and, yeah. you know, David Bowie and stuff like that. And you know you wouldn't necessarily get that in a normal disco. So, but of course, none of my friends, my sort of, uh, you know, friendship circle knew anything about this.
0: So you'd tell them if you had girlfriends, but you wouldn't tell them if you had well, boyfriends. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean the partners. girl,
1: the girlfriends were like part of the same group, so you know they would, mm. would, yeah. But um, no, I would never. And I, I mean, I never had a, a proper sort of relationship with a boy. It was all one night stands or, you know, yeah. furtive meetups and or whatever. And all the images that, that I was getting of gay men in the public eye were, you know, Larry Grayson and Dick Emery and, and all that sort of uh, caricature, vaudeville, pantomime type characters. Um, and I just did not identify in that way at all. And I thought, well, if that is what gay is about... And uh, then that's not me. Uh, you know, I, I just saw myself as a as a normal guy. And um, we just happened to like having sex with men.
0: Yeah. I mean, I struggled to come out in the 80s as well, even though it was the very end of the 80s. But some people did come out. You know, you've got people like Holly Johnson. You've got people like Andy Bell, Boy George. I, know, I mean, I I mean know. There were a, there's a handful there. And Jimmy Somerville. I'm talking about all the pop stars, but there were there were some people put put their head above the parapet, but they were quite brave, weren't they?
1: incredibly brave. And uh, and you, you stood to lose everything. You know, you stood to lose friends, family, work. And it was a huge decision, I think, for a lot of people to make to come out. And some of them did it for different reasons. I mean, uh, you talk about pop stars and that I think to be in that sort of um, environment in that in that entertainment field, I guess, it's slightly easier. To be different. Because you want to be different, because yeah. you want to you want to put your head above the, the...
0: If, if Harley Johnson was working in a bank, he might not have come out. Yes, exactly. I don't know. I can yeah. ask him, I'll tweet him and ask him. <laughs> That'd be good to know.
1: You know, and boy George, of course, his whole his whole uh, persona was extremely camp and gay. And yet, you know, he 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 famously said that he'd rather have a cup of tea than sex, which we all know, of course, is absolute rubbish. <laughs> he he wouldn't have done that at all. <laughs> Um, But, you know, at the time, even he had to make an excuse and show himself as decent and not having sex with men because sex wasn't important to him. So for them, I think they had a purpose in portraying themselves as gay or coming out, uh, as some of them did. But, you know, the ordinary people in the street to come out was, well, as I say, you risked losing everything.
0: Mm. So let's just go back a little bit because we're talking about the 80s, but what about the 70s then? You'd have been at school. Was anybody talking about people who were gay or bi or anything like no. that? Because, you know, by the eighties, there was a lot of homophobia, but was anyone talking about it in school in the seventies? Was there any
1: bullying? I didn't suffer any bullying. Again, you know, I was part of the cool gang and um, so, so no, I, I never had any, any sort of bullying, but then I didn't, I didn't portray being gay. Um, mm. Although in my head, of course it was all going on. And I but I was a huge David Bowie fan. I didn't see him as Ziggy Stardust, just missed out on that. But, you know, when he came on the telly and sang uh, Starman and pointed down the camera, I don't recall actually seeing him on Top of the Pops at the time, but obviously Mm -hmm. I've seen it since. And he just spoke to me and he was saying, you know, it is okay to be different. But I still didn't have the courage to say, you know, I'm a follower of David Bowie, therefore I can be gay. And, you know, uh, I didn't have that courage. But at least he gave me the courage to dress differently and listen to different music and um, look at art uh, and theatre and stuff like that, which I wouldn't have had before.
0: Well, I was working on Gaydio when he passed away and the outpouring of grief from all of our listeners, you know, he's just such an LGBT icon. He really was.
1: Well, absolutely. And, you know, he's been, you know, the playlist of my life, Mm -hmm. really. Yeah, hugely important for me, but also for the whole um, gay community, you know, at the time because there was nobody else. Nobody else saying, you know, it's okay to be different. He came out as bisexual, but, and, and didn't say that he was homosexual. And of course, there was all this, there still is, isn't there? This thing about, oh, you know, if, if you're bisexual, have you just made that up? Are you really gay? Is that what you're trying to say? You know, and, and of course, that was, that was the uh, narrative then, you know, that bisexuality didn't really exist. You were just saying that to make homosexuality sound
0: a bit better. I'm sure some people did, but you know, there's you know, unfortunately, there's still such lack of knowledge and biphobia about even today, isn't there? Hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, um, David Bowie is hugely important. Um, but yeah, so the 70s were really difficult, you know, to come out and and be yourself.
0: So you made a con- conscious decision to stay in the closet and to just pretend that well, you were all, in, to all intents and purposes, straight to your friends and family.
1: Yeah, you, I mean, this this sort of language about a conscious effort and pretend it wasn't conscious right. it's, it was subconscious because the whole of society was telling me I couldn't be any other way than society wanted me to be which was a, a guy who would have a girlfriend and get married and have children yeah that's was what society was telling me to be and the only way the only way I could fit in the only way I could see a path through was to enact that but it wasn't enacting because I, I felt that, you know, I could have sex with girls, so therefore I must be bisexual. And my homosexuality was, was I compartmentalised it.
0: But you, you found your queer tribe in a way, didn't you? You obviously found gay clubs and, and went to them and enjoyed them and presumably saw other people that were living an open gay life.
1: Yeah, yeah, but somehow I never got into it. Whatever happened or didn't happen, I never really felt that I quite fitted in. I mean, I was happy to go along and dance and strut my stuff and get off with boys and things once a week. <laughs> yeah. um, but they were never friends. I never, I never found the group that I wanted. And it's only, you know, really the gay dads uh, and the rainbow dads, And uh, when I found them, they, they were my tribe, because I suddenly realised, well, here are guys that have gone through the same experience. You know, they fell in love with a woman, they got married, they had kids, and, and finally you know, came out and, and are living their, their true lives. They mm. they are my tribe.
0: We'll find out about them in a little bit. But um, so yeah. what happened then? So you, you left school, you never mentioned to anybody, even anyone never in your family mentioned. that you even no. had feelings for men or attractions to men. So no, you went no. and you did end up marrying a girl then.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the 80s were particularly, it was so difficult because there was not only the pressure from society, but the fact that you could die. And mm. AIDS, AIDS was a death sentence. If you got it, that was it. And my brother actually uh, died from AIDS in 2008. Gosh, and that of course, and I had no idea that he was uh, gay or bisexual or whatever he was. And when he was ill, we were just all in denial about what was going on. And it was clearly he had HIV and, and was dying uh, slowly and appallingly and alone. God.
0: And you think he um, was? He, he had got it from gay, sexy things. Yeah, really? yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And and when he finally told the story, he said um, the reason he hadn't said anything was the shame, the utter shame of it. And this was in 2000, and uh, well, that would have been 2005, and he died in 2008. So still, yeah.
0: so much stigma through HIV.
1: Still, yeah, yeah. But you know, back in the 80s, it literally was a death sentence, as as the you know the TV drama clearly uh, showed.
0: Yeah. So in 2005 then when he was going through that did you you guys ever have a discussion about the fact that you were both gay or bisexual?
1: No. I know it's just utterly bizarre because I just couldn't get my head around the fact that my brother was also gay. Because it was like how can he be? You know, this is my thing. How can he how can he be that way as well? And he obviously, you know, um, contracted AIDS and died and and of course that just freaked me out and uh, pushed me even more back into the closet and this was in the middle of my marriage
0: That's, yeah another tough. reason not to come out I guess that must have been a horrific experience very traumatic for yeah all, all and, of your family. and just
1: yeah. yeah and just dealing with it and my mother died before he was really seriously ill I don't think she ever knew and my dad only found out because my brother took him along to the doctor and the doctor told him because my brother just couldn't tell him what was going on. Um, Gosh.
0: And have you got any other siblings?
1: No, no. So yeah. I, I'm the only one now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I just wish that he and I could have had that conversation.
0: It, it sounds like, you know, at some point you did have the conversation. So what was it that changed? So what, what year did you, you get married and then have kids?
1: I'm, I got married in 1990, but we didn't have, we didn't have our first son until 97. So some years later. So again, people say, oh, well, you probably got married because you, you wanted children. And, you know, there's this ulterior motive that you only got married because you're a gay man and, and you wanted children. Because then, of course, gay men couldn't get married and they, and they couldn't have children. And I right. never thought that would happen in my lifetime.
0: No, we didn't, did we?
1: You know, and I was talking to, a, I met up with um, some friends last night and uh, I was talking to a couple of young guys in their 20s. And I said, you just can't imagine what it was like. Because this idea of uh, people falling in love and getting married and having children uh, and being of the same sex was just not something that would ever happen. And yet it has. And it's happened within the last 20 years. So I got married because I fell in love. You know, I met a girl and we fell in love and we're still in love, Mm. you know, very much in love. And she's the only person that I've loved. When my son was when he was born, we decided that I would be the stay at home dad because my wife was working. I was working in Epsom, so I was commuting up to Epsom, and she was earning more than I was, and she wanted a career. So we decided that I would stay at home and look after the kids, and, which was fine. I was happy to do that and don't regret doing that at all. But, of course, when my youngest son started nursery school, I was having time to myself, and obviously the internet was starting to come in then.
0: Oh
1: so i was starting to look at porn on the internet as you do and so a few years later my wife discovered something that i downloaded nothing nothing terrible or anything and also there used to be these chat rooms these forums that used to go in and talk to people and for some reason i either downloaded the conversation or something anyway i kept it somewhere but i kept it where she found it and i think subconsciously, I wanted her to find it. I wanted a way out. I wanted a way to to come out, but I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to destroy her.
0: Well, it's scary.
1: Yeah. So subconsciously, I, I sort of left this trap, I think, and she found it. And she was actually pregnant with our second son. So, of course, that was all very traumatic. But even then, the narrative that I was giving was, well, that's not me. That's just a part of me. And she did know that before we got married that I'd had sexual relations with, with men.
0: Oh, she did. Okay.
1: Yeah. So it wasn't a complete surprise, but she thought, you know, that she would change me, not through, uh, you know, torture or anything, but just <laughs> but just through, you know, love um, because we loved each other. And so she thought that that would be enough. I thought that I could compartmentalise my homosexual urges, but of course, you know, The elephant in the room got far too big and far too, um, it was just there and it had had to be talked about. So it all sort of came out. But even then I was saying, well, that's not me. We're still together. We're still in love and we always will be. And because my second son was coming along, of course, when he was born, our time and my time as a stay-at-home dad was completely taken up with him and, uh, you know, a, a toddler at nursery.
0: So there was no threat that you were going to go anywhere. You were quite happy being a dad
1: absolutely I was never going to leave them you know my life was was them you know and and it is for it is for parents you know that you can't just sort of pick and choose when you know when you're interacting with them or when you're caring for them it's it's a 24 hour a day seven day a week job and I was perfectly happy to do that you know devoted to them and still am so there was no there was no question of me leaving but we did my wife and I did begin to live more and more separate lives because she worked Her main office was in London, so she often had to stay over in London. And so we were living separate lives, really. Um, And it got to a point where a few years later, she made the decision to leave and and leave me in the family home, which I think for her was an extremely brave and courageous thing to do. I mean, she only moved up the road, but into her own house and set up a new life.
0: And that was because you'd had the discussion and you'd made it clear that you wanted to maybe have relationships with men or she was just worried that you wanted that? Or
1: No, I mean, I, for, for all those years, I never did. I, there was nothing going on. I was, you know, I was mm. at home. I was the, the man at home looking after mm. the kids in the house and stuff. So there was never, never any question of me having a relationship or going off and, you know, having dates or anything like that. That just never happened. But she may, I think she came to the conclusion that, if she wanted a life with someone else, if she was going to build a life with someone else, she had to go and do that and be proactive in that. We couldn't carry on as we were; we just couldn't, you know. And and the thing is, look, many many people get divorced for all sorts of reasons, hmm. and sometimes it's just clear cut. It's like, you know, uh, someone has an affair, so the other one leaves, or whatever. They split up, or it's money, or you know, all sorts of reasons. Um, but when it's someone's sexuality, It's not that you've fallen out of love with that person that you're with, you know, as I say, we're still very much in love and she was always my first love. So it's a really difficult situation to navigate and come to terms with for both people involved.
0: Well, it sounds heartbreaking for both of you, really.
1: I think at the time it was heartbreaking, definitely, but I think now we are both living the better life. Are you both friends still? Very much, yeah. Both friends and both proactive in caring for the kids. Well, they're not kids anymore I was going to say, how old are they now? They
0: must be (laughs) be (laughs) grown-ups.
1: Yeah, they are, yeah. And the eldest is 24 and lives in Canada, and and the youngest is 19 and is at university. So, you know, they're they're, uh, leading their own lives uh, and very well as well. Of course, the hardest thing is coming out to your kids.
0: Oh my word, yes, because most people I talk to come out to their parents, but I guess you didn't do that, did you? Or...
1: No, I didn't, no. My my mum died, as I said, some years ago, so I was yeah. never in a, in a position to uh, tell her. And my dad, I mean, he died a couple of years ago, but uh, I never told him because I just thought, you know, what's the point? Because it's not going to make our relationship any better or different uh, than it was, and it could have just made things worse.
0: But I guess for the kids, they had to understand why their parents were separating.
1: Well, this is the funny thing, because I always thought that my wife must have had that conversation with them or they must have asked. But they never did, apparently, (laughs) which is really strange. And I just think because they they naturally fell into, well, uh, you know, Mum has a house. Dad has a house. And, you know, we moved between the two quite freely. And there was never any uh, issue with custody or one of us seeing, you know, the kids on one weekend or another. So they just had two parents in two separate homes. And I think they knew lots of kids at school in the same situation. Yeah. Whereas when I was, uh, you know, their age and my parents divorced, I was like the only one in the school. And it was a real big thing, a really uh, big event. Yeah, so they were never, they never were told. And I wrote a book called Gay Dad because I uh, found, well, I couldn't find any books that spoke to me that talked about my situation of, you know, other gay men who married and had kids. And I found this support group online called uh, Gay Dads and got involved with them. And I just asked a few of those guys whether they would be prepared to tell their stories And they were. So I thought, well, I'll put the book together and and did did so. But when I wrote that book, I thought, I can't let this go public and not tell my kids. Yeah. Uh, Because, uh, you know, if they found out any other way, it would be it would be devastating. And also I was due to do a uh, an interview on uh, Radio 4 Woman's Hour.
0: Brilliant.
1: Yeah, going going on radio, the chance of someone recognising my voice and saying, "Oh, that's you know so and so," were pretty remote. I just thought, well, if the kids found out, that would just be. You it's know, surprising awful.
0: the power of radio. People hear it that you never expect to hear. It. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. So I told them, and I waited until it was the beginning of the summer holidays, and and funnily enough, I think we went to see the latest James Bond film, whatever that was at the time, mm-hmm. and then we went for a pizza afterwards. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm, now I'm going to tell
0: <laughs> And And how old were they then, David, at this point?
1: So my eldest had left school by then. My youngest, it was the summer holidays before his last school year, his Ooh, sixth form oh, year. Mm. So they, they weren't young, young. No. And so I thought, well, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell them. But anyway, the pizza restaurant was too busy and too noisy, so I couldn't tell them then. And I'm driving back to their mum's to drop them off. I thought, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to say, them. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? <laughs> And, and you can't rehearse this. You can't prepare yourself for this. So when I finally got to the drive, I just said, oh, before you go, there's something I've got to tell you. And, of course, um, you know, once you say that, uh, you, have to, you have to tell the story. And they were, you know, they're modern kids. They're, they were fabulous. The eldest one said, well, he thought he might have had some inkling and he did wonder whether, you know, the youngest one had no idea at all. Um but you know they've both been really supportive since they've been along to events at Queer Britain and you know the Rainbow dads and stuff. It was easy for me uh, and 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 they just love their dad, their dad is their dad,
0: and I guess you brought them up well. you well,
1: yeah, hopefully yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah
0: God, but that must have been a a real sort of stomach in mouth moment though, having to tell
1: your children it is it it is because you're shattering an illusion Mm. you're you're telling them that the person that they love and uh, respect and look up to is not exactly the person they think they are and there's that Oh god what what is this going to do to them you know it's all very well them saying oh it doesn't matter dad but actually you know when they when they have quiet moments on their own what are they thinking what you know what's going through their head
0: and I suppose for the younger one, you were worried, were you, that you know maybe there could have been bullying? You don't know, do you? There's a lot of intolerant people still at, you know, in schools across the UK.
1: Yeah, and, and that, Emma, that's why I left it as long as I did, because I didn't mm. want them to have any sort of uh, recriminations or any bullying or anything like that. But, yeah, so it is incredibly, incredibly hard to do. And, you know, it goes back to this thing like we, we were saying earlier, you know, in the seventies. When you stood to lose everything so i stood at that moment i stood to lose everything because they could have been really but you know i knew they wouldn't be because i know my kids but of course it's in the back of your head the the, the situation might not go as you think it will and then you think of the future you know you think well as i say you know they might go home and not want to see me anymore so it's really really hard but they live in different times and they're used to same-sex parents and people right. being gay and sports people being gay and television presenters being gay and, you know, people like yourself. When you, you know, were talking it, about that, I was just
0: thinking of Philip Schofield, actually, because I saw him on the telly this morning. I was thinking that's a similar conversation he'd have had to have with his family, you know.
1: Well, yeah. And again, you know, people were so worried about, you know, oh, dear, uh, you know, what's he done to his poor wife? And, you know, how could he – how could he – and. But actually, from what he says, she's been very supportive. And what, why should we be interested in what's going on behind closed doors? You know, he felt that he had to come out and they'd obviously had this conversation. So that for us, the public should be the end of it. We, we shouldn't yeah. be, you know, sitting uh, in judge and jury and, and saying they should have done this and he should have done that. And she should be doing this. They should just be getting on with it.
0: That was tabloid journalists sticking their oar in, wasn't it? And someone threatening that they were going to expose him. So a whole well, of yeah. game, really. Yeah. Awful, yeah. awful, yeah. awful. Um, so how old were you then, David, when you finally, you know, went on Women's Hour and wrote a book and admitted to the world that you were a gay
1: man? 55. Wow. So not that long ago. Not that long ago. Ah. It's only when I told my kids that I finally felt free and able to be me it's freedom you know coming out it gives you a freedom and it turns you into an activist as well (laughs) I've since discovered oh good the books that I write I've, I've I find you know I have to confront these issues and I have to talk about them and that's why I'm happy to come on programs like yourself and other podcasts and stuff because we need to tell our stories and we need to talk about it
0: Is there a Um, sense that you, I mean, you haven't had an awful life by any stretch of the imagination, but you don't want other people to go through what you've been through in terms of being in the closet and scared for so long?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I lived through very difficult times. The 70s and 80s were very difficult for all sorts of reasons, but particularly, you know, around homophobia and AIDS and stuff. So the times are different now, obviously, but, you know, it's not always easy to come out. For Whatever reason, your religion or you know, your peer group or your family, even the country that you live in, you know mm-hmm. we're very lucky that we live in, in this country for some reasons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, it is very difficult to make that decision. And I think it's not a decision that you make overnight, and you know you have to learn how to make the decision. When is the right time for someone to come out? When do I do it? You know It's not something that you wake up one morning. And suddenly out of the blue, think, oh, you know, today, on today's list of things to do, <laughs> I'm going to come out. Well, no, that doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen for anybody.
0: Now, there's usually a catalyst, isn't there? Like someone finding a file on a computer that they shouldn't uh, do. Yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's really interesting, isn't it, really? Because I, I suspect a lot of people do things like that. They want to come out and they just cannot find the way to do it. And they leave all these hints and and clues but people just don't pick them up people are very much uh whatever you present them is what they accept
0: because it's really hard to come out with those words isn't it and just to say i'm gay you know it's still still difficult i think
1: it is it is and you know even as a middle-aged man you know just to suddenly start saying do you know what i am gay so what you know and most people don't really care Mm. (laughs) you know the people, around, the people who I care about, the people who I love, love me, and that's it. And anybody else, if they've got an issue with it, then that's their issue. It's not mine. If someone asks, then I tell them. But I don't go around, you know, I don't uh, walk into a room and say, you know, hello, everyone. <laughs> By the way, I'm the gay man in the room. You know, <laughs> I, I don't do that. I don't mm. do that.
0: But how have the last five years been then?
1: Well, Amazing. Uh, just writing the books and meeting people and getting involved with things, you know, Queer Britain and the Rainbow Dads, uh, you know, all these things and talking to you would never have happened otherwise. And I just feel that now it's is the right time for me. Maybe back in the 80s, it wouldn't have been the right time. And I'm sure there were opportunities that I could have, you know, taken a different choice and ended up in a gay life, living in London or whatever. But maybe that wasn't meant to be for me.
0: It sounds like life begins at 60 for you, David. Yeah. 55. Why not?
1: Why not? <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> but none of us none of us know, you know, doing what, what's in store and, and how it's going to be this coming out thing that we do. But I think you know, I have not heard a story of anyone coming out and then regretting it. I think most people it, it is the best thing for them.
0: absolutely. I feel like you're from a very unique generation in a way. you know the generation before may have actually just gone through the motions and been married and had kids and never ever come out. Yeah, um, generations now probably are coming out and not staying in the closet. I'm talking about people. In the UK, the or, the, or in Western civilization. I'm not talking about people that might live in Iran or Nigeria yeah. or somewhere where it's really hard to come out. But I think most people will come out. So you're the generation. You're a very unique generation, I think, where you've had that life in a closet and then you've come out very much later in life because times have changed so much societally, haven't they, in the last thirty yeah. years, like you say. Yeah. So it's a unique position you're in in a way. You and the other the Rainbow Dads, your crew.
1: My crew, Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. And, and we do say this often, we say, you know, we're just so lucky to have experienced, in a way, what went on in the 70s and 80s, and to, uh, and to have come through that and to have mm-hmm. seen all the changes that have happened. It makes you stronger, doesn't it? And it makes you a, a better person, I guess, you know, and I think the younger generations, you know, who are in their 20s now, and younger, who who just can't believe how it was. I mean, I guess for me it's almost like looking back to pre-war or or the war days, you know, yeah. when how things were then. And I think, well, wow, that's just madness. That's extraordinary, <laughs> you know, how people managed and 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 coped with, with adversities. But you do, you you, you work through it and um once you come out, you just sort of become this activist and person who who has to talk about it. Yeah, Uh, and 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 it's really important that we tell our stories because before now, every generation, every LGBTQ plus generation that passed took all their stories with them. So you know, you you talk about the generation before mine. Well, they had plenty of stories to tell, but of course, they've all disappeared.
0: Yeah, they took them to the grave, literally. Well, well, let's just um, end them by talking about your latest book, then, because you want to encourage other people to tell their lgbtq plus stories didn't you
1: yeah so um the book how to tell your lgbtq plus story it basically came about through my other books gay dad this forbidden fruit and having gay sex where i always talk to other people who have lived the experience that i'm talking about so there's always interviews and uh, stories throughout the books with real people because i think that's important to get the real the real message and when you ask people to tell their stories they're more than willing to tell you they'll they'll come forward and 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 tell you their stories and because I've I've been self-publishing people say to me oh how do you do that and how do you get into self-publishing how do you how do you get online and blah 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 and I just thought well I need to combine the two I need to encourage LGBTQ plus people to tell their stories to Mm -hmm. write their stories to pass their stories on as we were just saying and also the sort of nitty-gritty about how to go about it.
0: Navigate the murky wa- waters of publishing, yes.
1: Yeah. But, of course, it, it does include um, stories of people who've written their own books and published their stories throughout the world, actually. There's a guy from India and, and a guy from L.A. and someone from Canada. So it's a worldwide story. And that, uh, that is a really interesting point. The art, our trauma that we go through about mm. coming out is replicated throughout the world. You know, people, doesn't matter what society they're in, the society might be very vindictive and very hostile, but the trauma that you feel about coming out, obviously some societies you just can't, but that inner that inner turmoil and trauma that we all feel is replicated throughout the world. We all feel the same. We all feel shame and that we should be fitting in with society and struggling to, to do that and You know, it's a struggle for everyone, and it's the same struggle.
0: It is, and it's mad, isn't it? And, you know, I mean, my hope for the future is that actually we both make ourselves redundant, and we don't need to save these stories anymore because it's just boring when you come out and no one's really interested, you know, and wouldn't it be nice? And there's no (laughs) trauma, there's no dramas, and that would be great, wouldn't it, really? That would be be ideal. We're a long way.
1: (laughs) I think we're a bit away from that, but, you know, when you consider how far we've come in 20 years, why not in another 20 years? That, that 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 will be the case, that, you know, people just won't even be bothered to ask or care. And that would be fabulous. <laughs>
0: thank you to david leddane for chatting to me his new book how to tell your lgbtq story is out now you can get it online or it's available from all good bookshops as is our book of course coming out stories but you knew that now you can follow david at, at david ledain, that's l-e-d-a-i-n on twitter and on facebook and on instagram he's David.ledane. Oh, and on that question as to whether Holly Johnson would have come out had he been a banker and not in the entertainment industry, well, I've only gone and found out, sort of. Uh, I did tweet him anyway, and he essentially said that it wasn't easy coming out in any industry in the 1980s. This is what he said. Tradesmen and tradeswomen in the 80s were often out to friends but still in the closet at work, some working in jobs where it's difficult for them to come out without discrimination, teachers, etc., um, so no definite yes I would have come out if I'd been a banker um, or not really but just acknowledging how difficult it was to come out in the 1980s maybe we should get him on the podcast Holly are you listening? oh and anyone not lucky enough to be been around in the 1980s Holly Johnson is the lead singer of Frankie Goes to Hollywood go and check him out Next time up, Alex will be joining me to tell her story. She's an out-and-proud trans woman who always knew she wanted to grow up to be a woman. But she told me that actually transitioning wasn't something that became vital to her until she graduated from university and was about to start work as a solicitor.
1: I had gone from being in these environments where I could just be Alex and I could just be this very feminine version of myself And that was fine, but I had it in my head that when I went to become a lawyer and I went to start working in an office in that sort of really classic male environment and having to wear a suit and having to be Mr. Woolhouse, that that was something that I just couldn't do and that I was really stressed about.